Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It's good to have fun in church, amen? You know, um, I, I tell our staff, and, and, and for those of you that come consistently on these uh, Wednesday night services um, and, and, and have young kids and are bringing your children, you need to reinforce it with them that, you know, this isn't just something they have to do, it's something they get to do. Um, but, you know, sometimes we can run the risk of busyness. Uh, the world is just getting busier and busier. If you're waiting for the world to slow down, you're going to be waiting a while because uh, things are only speeding up. But those of you that come consistently, uh, you know, you need to let your kids know it's fun. Serving God is fun. You know, we have our, uh, you know, ministry head staff. That's the leadership staff that helps Pastor Ashley and I with conducting business here in the church. And uh, the majority of us have young kids, ourselves included. And, um, you know, we're adding another night on a Saturday night. We come up here for about two or three hours, and we have meetings, and kids have to come to that. Kids have to come early with us. We get here at 6 o'clock on a Wednesday. Uh, if you're serving, you get here at 6.30. We're here before you are. Uh, 9.30 on Sunday mornings. We're the last ones out the door, first ones in the door. And uh, you, you know what? Our kids get drugged along to that. They get dragged, you know, dragged along, drugged along, however you say that around here. I don't, I don't even think y'all care. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but um, you know, we, we bring our kids right along with us. And we let them know serving God is fun. It's not a burden. It's not something I have to do. And us as parents, we've got to, I, I have to watch myself, you know, coming on a Wednesday night or, you know, coming to another meeting or, uh, you know, Camden comes up to the office with us on Mondays and Tuesdays and, you know, whatever other days that we're up here doing stuff. And uh, But we've just let them know th- this is something we get to do. We get to serve God. And um, so I just want to, number one, commend you guys for coming on a regular basis to a Wednesday night service where in the world uh, people are reducing and we're adding. Uh, that I believe the kingdom's always increasing and the kingdom's always adding. And that doesn't mean that we don't look at statistics and things like that. But all in all, I've got to do what the Holy Spirit says to do. And until he tells me we don't do Wednesday night services and let's give everybody a break, then we're going to have Wednesday night services. But, you know, you need to let your kids know. Because, you know, sometimes they're going to be the ones that are going to say, do we have to? No, you don't have to. You get to. You get to serve God tonight. You get to come and worship God and hear the word. And, uh, you know, and, and just help encourage them. Pastor Mark doesn't go long on Wednesdays. And I know you're speaking by faith, but just speak it by faith. And I'm hooking up with you. I'm hooking right up with you. My wife is funny because she says every time that uh, she is serving in the kids on Wednesday nights, and maybe this will be a, a barometer for you guys to help me out, but anytime she's serving with the kids, I go long on a Wednesday. Anytime she's over here, I go short. Now, that's not done purposefully. I'm not trying to teach my wife a lesson or, you know, anything like that. Uh, that just, if that's a true statement, I don't even know if that's a true statement. I don't get to, to gauge myself on these services. So, uh, but I try not to go, at long, go as long on Wednesday nights. I try to be mindful of that. But at the same time, I value the word. Amen. And um, so we do things like theme nights just to make it fun, to, to get to add some interaction with the kids. But they're still getting the word over there. They're not just eating pizza and donuts and drinking Coke. Uh, they're back there receiving the word of God. Amen. And we're thankful for all of our children's workers. 
Uh, you may have heard me make a call on Sunday, and I'll be making a call for the next few weeks. We need help in our children's ministry. And so if you have a gifting there, um, and in fact, let me erase that statement. Even if you don't have a gifting there. <laughs> let, me, let me draw it back. Cause, and, and here's why. Seriously, this is why. I, 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 had, I, had someone, I had someone one time in the church. I lost you with that one. Uh, but let me explain myself. Because I know some of you parents thinking, I don't want any, just anybody back there. The level of interaction with the children is limited to your gifting, your ability to serve them. Let's put it that way. Okay? But we have needs. Uh, and so it may not necessarily be, you know, helping, you know, interact with the kids and teaching the kids. But we might need someone just to prepare a snack while the teacher that is gifted in that area can do that. Okay, I'm talking to everybody in the room. I'm talking to men, talking to women, I'm talking to teenagers, I'm talking to whoever else is in this room that wants to serve in our children's ministry. Bodies are important, okay? We're back there giving the Word of God. We're not just babysitting. You hear me say it all the time, and all the parents say, amen. So we're not back there babysitting. We are taking care of your children spiritually as well as naturally. And so in that, you know, bodies become important and when we're scheduling schedules can get tight especially through summer months um and so we need help we need uh any individuals that would love to just take an opportunity to serve in the children's ministry and, and where i was going with the gifting side of it is i had an individual come to me once that was having trouble getting hooked up with the vision and when you go to vision partnership class all of you have been through that you know that vision partnership is a partnership i'm giving of myself to this church as well as receiving what the church has for me. And the sad part is, is a lot of Christians come to church, and I love being able to make this statement and not include our church because this does not affect our church at all. But across America, a lot of people go to church as uh, what can I get rather than what can I give. But I believe that in this church we've helped change that mentality, helped shift that mentality. And I believe you will get more out of church if you find yourself giving more to it. That's the bottom line. Um, and I'm not just saying that because we need people working. That's the bottom line. And if you're feeling like you're not getting anything out of church, you might need to address what you're giving. But, um, you know, this certain individual was having trouble getting hooked up in an area of ministry. And he's, well, you know, I just don't feel called. There's, you know, ushers, you know. I mean, I, I could be an usher, but I just don't feel called, you know, to be an usher. And so I told him, I said, you know what, 90% of the things that I did in ministry before I became a senior pastor I did, not because an angel came down and visited me in my room overnight, not because Jesus stood at the foot of my bed, not because I got this crazy dream or some prophetic uh, man of God came and said, you need to work in the children. Uh, uh, an individual came to me and said, hey, we need help in children's ministry. Can you help? And I just answered the call. I just answered the call. Period. I mean, you saw me on the drums. That's a, that's a given. But that was a very small part of what I did in ministry, especially when I started out. And because I opened up my big mouth and said, hey, I want to be a senior pastor one day, that means you get to do all of it. That's what that means. That, to, to a pastor, if someone makes that call, you have just marked yourself as somebody that will do all of it, and you have no excuse. Now, when we first started this church, I mean, right now we've got a little bit of an ant problem. You probably don't see them, and we're rebuking those little demons in the name of Jesus. <laughs> 
But there are some little ants trying to crawl around this building, trying to get up in here. And as soon as they hit this carpet, they're going to die because of the anointing. Either that or they're going to scatter and go where they belong in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's like those demons that said, hey, you know, can we go in them pigs over there? If the ants start talking to me and say, hey, can we just go to the grass outside? Go ahead, man. Go to the grass. You just don't belong up in here. And so, uh, you know, I remember when we first started the church, it was the first summer we had. And I come in on a Saturday because I was cleaning the church. Nobody else was. So I came in on a Saturday. We didn't even have carpet down, didn't have a stage, didn't have any of this stuff. And uh, I come in here, and there is flies everywhere. And I'm talking big flies, not gnats, not little flies, flies everywhere. Most of you probably don't even know this. Our leadership team probably doesn't even know that I did this. So I went down to Home Depot, and I fogged the place on a Saturday. And I'm, I'm thinking, we got church tomorrow. We got church in 12 hours, you know, whatever time. We've got to figure something out. And so I've bombed the whole place. <laughs> well, you know, thank goodness I came back, you know, early the next morning. Probably got here about 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And there's flies dead everywhere. I didn't think that they just disappear. <laughs> the fogger doesn't make them just disappear into the, nothing. They're all over the place. Now I'm sweeping the entire place, getting them off. I had these little things hanging from the ceiling tiles that would catch them, and they're covered. I mean, you're probably talking 40, 50 flies on one little stick. I mean, I don't know where they came from. It seems like every summer we've had some kind of bug problem <laughs> at this place. So do something about that. So, you know, you just, you just do it all in ministry, stuff that maybe you're not even feeling called to, but you can answer a call, and I can promise you that Oh, look, here comes my wife now. That means we're going short tonight. It means we're going short. My wife's in the building, so she's in the house. But we ain't going long tonight. Maybe it's because she gives me the eye and says, screw this thing up. You're wandering. Yes, he told y'all about that. Genesis chapter 1. Yes, ma'am, we'll get on it. Yes, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. 30 minutes. Start the clock, Jimmy. Doesn't mean I'll look at it, but you can start it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit, that, uh, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself, on the earth. I'm going to read that again. Then God said, let it sink in, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, and the tree uh, that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were the third day. Uh, go on down to verse 20. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea cre great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded. That means the waters produced it. According to their kind, notice they were all created like the previous, 
according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Go on down to verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. The earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. According to its kind. Cattle according to its kind. Everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. Is it sinking in? Are we getting there yet? And God saw that it was good. He said, that looks good. Last week, uh, I'm not going to minister on the same thing we ministered last week, but last week we talked about patterns. We always said that patterns produce. Patterns produce. And if you want to change a product, you change the pattern. You've got to tweak the pattern if you want to get something different. And so God here, as we see, is in a pattern of creation. He is creating something that will, in turn, produce something. And notice the pattern, according to its kind. According to its kind. So an apple tree doesn't, uh, you don't take the seed from an apple and get oranges. You get, wow, okay, let's try that again. You get apples. Apples to apples. We're comparing apples to apples. And so if you... Uh, if a cow gives birth, it's going to produce a cow. If a horse is going to produce birth, it's going to produce a horse. If you take an orange seed and put it in the ground, it's going to produce an orange tree, which will then produce oranges, which will then produce orange trees, which will then produce oranges. You see the pattern, right? There is a pattern in place. So God creates something that's called the source. And the source then in turn reproduces. It's producing again. That's what reproduce means. R-E means again. Re means again. So if I restore something, that means I'm again putting it in a certain place. If you're reproducing, you are producing the same thing. So we have a source. Then we have reproduction, which is a production, again, of the source. So now we see the pattern in place. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So now God is creating something because he is the creator. Now, nobody created God because God has always existed. He's always been from the beginning. There was no beginning to God. But now God is creating something. And we already have a pattern in place that we have a source, and then the source will reproduce after itself. After itself. And if you detach the thing from the source, it dies. The waters produce sea creatures. So if you take a sea creature out of the water, it 
dies. It's disconnected from its source. And so now here in verse 26, God creates something. But this time he makes himself the source. He's breaking the pattern because he wants a different product. He doesn't just want a plant that can't affect anything. He doesn't want a tree that can't affect anything. He doesn't want an animal that, can, uh, that can't affect anything. He wants to create man that can do what? Have dominion. Have dominion. He didn't give dominion. He didn't give diminutive control to any other creation up to this point. We're six days in now. He has spent five days creating stuff and moving stuff around and spreading the waters and putting a firmament in between and putting the lights in place and putting darkness in place and putting dry land where it's supposed to go and putting water where it's supposed to go and then putting animals in the water and putting animals in the sky or the waters above the waters. And then he takes uh, animals and puts them in the dry land. And then he says, dry land, bring forth trees and plants and they'll contain seed herb yielding seed within themselves so they can then continue to reproduce after their own kind. But to this point, he's given nothing control. He's in control. To this point, God is the one calling the shots. But now he creates man and he wants a different product, so he changes the pattern. He changes the pattern. And he pulls man from the ground but then he puts himself into that man. He says, let us make man, verse 26, in our image according to. Now, we've just seen according to at least four times up to this point. It will produce according to its kind. According to its kind. And so now God is making himself the source and says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And likeness speaks to function or design. Image speaks to who you are, but likeness speaks to what you do. So not only does he want man to look like him, he wants man to operate like him. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Our likeness. Now, God is one individual. But yet we see the term our. O-U-R. That's plural. That's multiple individuals. And so we know that there is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Three, yet one. Three, yet one. And so he says, let us make man in our image. Now, you need to know the functions of each one. You got to know what the Father does. You got to know what the Son does. You got to know what the Spirit does. And you can go all the way back to verse one uh, uh, and and, and, uh, uh, verses one and two, and you find out that the Trinity, yet being one, 
is performed in three different roles here. Number one is the father, and the father is the will. The father is the will. From the head comes what you want to do. God the father has the will. But God the father has to speak the son, Jesus, the word. Number one, you have father, the will. Number two, you have son, Jesus, who is the word. And I I don't have it here, but you know, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1, verse 1. You want to reference it. Mark it down for all of you note takers out there. So we have, number one, father, the will. Number two, son, the word. And then we have, number three, the Holy Spirit, who is the work. So we have the will, the word, and the work. Now, God is a king. And this whole book, this whole book is about a king, his kingdom. And then verse 26 talks about his royal offspring, you and I. The children of a king. You're royalty. Look at the person next to you and say, you're royalty. You're royalty. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, you're royalty. I know the other side of you might be really far away. I can do that by faith. Because one day, this whole room's going to be full of people. There's going to be people standing up in the back. We're not going to have anywhere to put them. And you're going to have people on both sides of you. Okay. So we have the Father who is the will. We have the Son, Jesus, who is the word, the spoken word of the will. What is willed has to be spoken. And then once the word is spoken, now the Spirit can perform or work the word. That's how God operates because he's a king. He's a king. God is ruling in a kingdom. You can't be a king without a kingdom. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a king's domain. A king's domain. That is the territory within which a king rules or governs. Got to have a king's domain. So we know that God is ruling in the kingdom of what Jesus called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So God is a king, and he has dominion, right? He has authority. A king has to have authority. A king has to have power. A king has to be able to uh, enact his power and his authority in the kingdom, in the king's domain, in the territory within which he rules. And so he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He first speaks to who we are, then he speaks to what we do. What do we do? Let them have dominion. Dominion. Dominion, that word dominion means to rule, means to govern. It's literally what dominion means. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, And over the cattle 
over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So now God has just created man in his image to look like him. And in his likeness, according to his likeness, to work like him. To work like him. To have dominion over all the earth. And we read in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. Rule over it. Have dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we see a pattern. Just to reiterate what we've looked at so far. We see a pattern of creation. We see a pattern of creation that God creates a source and then he creates, uh, he puts within the source the ability to reproduce after its kind. And that's why we see things only producing after their kind. You'll never see something produce something that it already isn't. Then God creates man, and he follows the pattern, but he makes himself the source this time. And so he says that everything that man is going to be, I already am. And I'm going to put myself in man because I need them to do something. See, when somebody creates something, when somebody creates a product, they design it with a purpose to do something. A, a producer or a manufacturer never creates something without first knowing the purpose for it. But for it to perform a function, we have to first give it identity. And so God first gives man identity. So that now they can understand what they were created to do. If I know who I am, then I know what to do. And see, we live in a world that tries to just people teach people what to do before telling them who they are. And so we get people that have an idea of what they're supposed to do, but they don't know who they are. And when you don't know who you are, then you don't know what to do. So God is creating Man in his own image. Now, this in his own image is important. Because the very thing, notice he doesn't say let them have Christianity. He doesn't say let them have salvation. He doesn't, ha he doesn't say let them have a born again experience. He doesn't even say let them have heaven which is the one thing that we all think we got saved for, was heaven. He doesn't say, let them have heaven. Let them have access to one day come back and live with me in heaven. 
No, he says, let them have dominion. Why? Because God is a king in a kingdom. And this whole book is about a king and his kingdom. And now he has created individuals to rule over a domain or a territory that he's just created. He's just spent five days creating a domain or a kingdom for man to rule and operate in. He's just spent five days doing that. I, I, I like making this statement. You know, it kind of floors people a little bit. But if God had created man on any other day prior to, it would have been up to man to finish creation. God did as much as he could in the five days that he could. But the second he spoke, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Those four words changed everything. They changed everything for even God himself. Why? Because God isn't man. He just removed himself from the pattern. We call it an equation, right? X plus Y equals Z. And in the first five days, God is a part of the equation of what's taking place in the earth. Nothing is happening in the earth without God up to this point. But now here on the sixth day, everything shifts. And God says, let them have dominion to rule. Well, they can't have dominion. They can't rule until they're created like me. They've got to have my ability, so I need to become their source. And what happens if you detach from the source? You die. John chapter 15 Verse 5, you can just throw it up there real quick. You don't have to turn there. We've seen it before. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. If you stay connected, there's a life source. If the fish stays in the water, it stays alive. If you stay where you belong, you live. And anything living is growing and is producing. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him produces, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you detach yourself from your source, you become unproductive and ineffective. And that is the way the world is living today. Unproductive and ineffective for the kingdom. For the kingdom of God. Unproductive, ineffective. Why? I'm detached from the source. Detached from the source. I mean, we can go a million different ways with that, but I'm not going to preach on that tonight. But we've got to stay attached to the source. Now, God is a king, and God is a king by right of creation. He created it, so he gets to rule it. He gets to own it. He gets to determine what it does. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, speaks to this fact. For it pleased the Father that in him, he's talking about Jesus, 
all the fullness should dwell. And by him, uh, that's verse 19. Let's try verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I want to read this to you in the New Living. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He's supreme. He's king over all of it. He rules over all of it. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And God rules and reigns by his will, his word, and his work. That's how God rules. Those are the three things. God rules by his will, what he desires, his word, what he speaks. We know Isaiah tells us that uh, uh, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I send it out to do. Where the word of the king is, there is power. Power for what? Powerful work. That's why Jesus said, you have to go and tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit. What I desire for you to do and what I have spoken over you doesn't come to pass until you receive the power to perform it by the Holy Spirit. So we got people that know God and we have Christians that know the word. They're not familiar with the power of the Holy Spirit. So all it is is talk with no demonstration. But Jesus came and he didn't just talk it. He walked it. He lived it. He was empowered by it. Even Jesus had to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the kingdom is ruled by my Father's will. By my Father's word, and by my Father's power, by His word. I gotta have all three in operation. Jesus didn't do one miracle until He received the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how the kingdom is ruled. That's how the kingdom is ruled. But then in verse 26, He transferred the power. See, the king, when he's in authority, he also has the authority to give authority to anything and anyone he would like. It's called delegation. It's called delegation. And so God being king in heaven creates a new realm that is a visible seen realm 
that reflects the invisible, unseen realm of heaven. And God is unseen, and he rules the unseen realm of heaven. But now he's created this seen realm, and he says, I'm going to delegate my authority to man. I'm going to create man, but I'm not going to create man in the same pattern that I've created everything else. I'm going to create man differently, you know, a different pattern because I want a different product. I want him to rule over everything else that I created. So man didn't create it, so he doesn't get to dictate what it does. Man didn't create marriage, so man doesn't get to redefine what a marriage looks like. Man didn't create male and female, so he doesn't get to redetermine and redefine what a male is like and what a female is like. No matter what Hollywood wants to tell you, no matter what crazy individual wants to show up and say, you know what, I'm really a female, I'm not a male any longer, this is a desire I've had. No, you have a demon possession. You don't get to redefine what God defines. He's creator. And see, we, we, we get this idea that because I'm in charge, I get to shift things and move things around. Just because you're made manager of the store doesn't mean you get to change the name of the store and redefine how the store operates. You operate and manage the store the way the company wants you to run it. And if you can't run it that way, you get out. They fire you. And yet we live in this world where we think because I've got some control, I get to dictate. If I go to the store manager of this Best Buy over here, he has to operate and run that store according to Best Buy policy. He doesn't get to walk up in there and say, you know what, guys? I know they tell us to open at 10, but I feel like opening at 2. Why do we have to open at 10? Who says we have to open at 10? Why? Because your inability to submit to authority will remove you from authority. Just because you're in control doesn't mean you get to change. We are managers. We are stewards on this earth according to Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. You don't get to redefine what money does. God's already defined it. You don't get to redefine what the church does. God's already defined what the church does. You don't get to redefine what you do. God's already defined it. And see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about identity is when you don't know who you are, you'll make up who you are. You'll make it up. You'll let other people create your identity. Well, I'm from this part of town, so this is just how we are. We're just not the smart side. I mean, I'm just, you know, our family was never the brightest, so you know, I'm just going to have to take one of those low-level jobs. My family never went to school, so I guess I'm just not going to go to school. My family's never been rich, so I guess, you know, I'm just... Not going to be rich. What are you doing? You're just following into the identity. You're allowing somebody else to create your identity rather than finding your identity in what the Word says you are. If you want to know who you are, you go to the manufacturer that created you. You go to the source. 
You don't take an iPhone to Samsung and ask them what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to operate. You go to Apple. You go to Macintosh. You say, you created it. What is this thing supposed to do? What is this feature supposed to do? Because the identity is from the source. We don't get to redefine this. So Jesus is supreme overall. God is supreme overall, and he carries out his power. He carries out his authority by his will, his word, and his work. There's nothing that you can hold God to if he hasn't spoken it. Don't start claiming stuff over your life that God hasn't promised you. But on the flip side of it, most of us don't know God's word. Therefore, we don't know his will. We pray about knowing God's will a lot, but his will is in his word. So if you want to discover his will, you've got to be in the word. You can't discover God's will without being in the word the bottom line so we've got to know what god wills don't allow pastors to tell you what god's will is i don't dictate what god's will is i read the word and my job is to communicate the word to you and help you discover god's will it is god's will for all to live in perpetual healing period I don't care what anybody says. The only thing that matters is what God's word says. And his son endured stripes on his back that Isaiah tells me were for my healing. That 1 Peter 2.24 tells me was for my healing. So I don't allow man to redefine what God's word says. His will is in his word. So, where are we going with this? Go to Matthew chapter 8. I'm wanting to talk to you about authority and power tonight. I feel a little little more scattered than I usually do, just because there's so many directions this thing could go, and I've got so many verses, but if I could nail down where I'm wanting to go with this. I'm wanting to help us understand that we are created in the image of a king. That one statement would sum up what I'm trying to communicate. You know, even even in this, you know, I, I, I feel like our church has a good grasp on this. Because kingdom teaching is not stuff you hear everywhere. That's the bottom line. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time, second time, depending on how long you've been here. Uh, you, you may not be real familiar with the kingdom concept, but you, you, the, the whole Bible, the whole book is about a king and his kingdom. God is a king. God is not, God is not interested in religion. God is not interested in belief systems. He's not interested in denominations. He's not interested in Pentecostal and Baptist and Methodist and, 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 and uh, you know, whatever else is out there. 
And within Christianity alone, there's over 50,000 denominations. That's a problem. It's all because we missed the original concept that the whole book was written in. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've completely missed what Jesus talked about and preached about. We do. You find kingdom mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mentioned numerous times. It's all that he talked about. It's all that he preached about. It's all that he talked about. And the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. He came not here as a religious figure. We did that to him. This whole thing is about a government. God's answer for the world today is a government system. Now, I know you don't want to hear that because all that we see is just broken, messed up government. Even our own, even in our free, liberal nation that we live in. It's broken. Because anything man gets their hands on, we mess it up. You go back to Samuel and Israelites, who are the one nation that doesn't have a king. Because they don't need a king. Because they have a king. God says, we want to be like all the other nations. Because they were coming up with kings. Egypt had Pharaoh. Pharaoh is just the king of Egypt. That's what a Pharaoh is. And all these other nations, they had kings. And so the Israelites said, you know, we want to look like all them. We want, a, we, want a, we, want a, we want a king. We want a king. And Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, that is delivering the message from the king, the messenger, he says, what's the problem? He goes to God and says, you know, I'm moved here. Why did, and God said, it's all right. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king, as their king. But he said, give them what they want, and we broke it. The first one. I mean, we didn't even get two kings in. We got, the first king starts out good, ends up bad. Right off the gate. And then we get the second one, David. He's a good king. He's a man after God's own heart. Even he has his issues. Watching women bathe on the rooftop rather than going and fighting a war like he's supposed to. Runs into issues there. And then he has a son, Solomon, who asks God for wisdom, becomes the richest man that's ever walked the face of this earth. But then he gets so many women around him. And then from there, it's just downhill. To the point that God has to send his own people into the hands of their enemies. But then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. In such a time as this, right? When the time was fulfilled. And look at this in Matthew chapter 8, because the one individual, the one individual that is able to identify with Jesus isn't a Christian, isn't a believer, isn't a God-fearing individual, uh, it isn't someone that knows God, fears God, knows about the history of God, uh, doesn't care about any of that. He's actually from a nation that is opposed to God's people. A Roman centurion. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, verse 5, 
a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him, just like he did with all the others. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Speak a word. Speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. I also am a man. I also am a man. He's the only individual in the whole Gospels that identifies Jesus as a man of authority and being under authority. He says, I also am a man. He says, me and you, we got something in common. I'm a government official. You're a government official. And I answer to somebody. I answer to an authority. And that keeps me in authority. And you answer to somebody in authority. And that's why you have authority. It's just picturing this, just helping us see who Jesus is. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I just say it. I just say it, and it happens. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. You want to make Jesus marvel. Not a whole lot of things that he marveled at. He marveled at faith, and he also marveled at doubt. You want him to marvel at faith. He marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not, I have not found such great faith. Not even in Israel. From a man that doesn't even know what faith is. The centurion's probably thinking, faith, I, I didn't say anything about faith. I just said that you're a man under authority like me. All you have to do is speak the word. Why? Because that's how a king appropriates his authority. His will, his word, and then the power follows the word. And these signs will follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will speak in new tongues. They will cast out demons in my name. It follows. The power follows the teaching. The power follows the word. God speaks the word. It's as if it's already done. That's how a king's word operates. If he speaks the word, it's done. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do about it. There was a king over in the book of Daniel that had Daniel thrown in a lion's den. He was tricked into it. But since he gave the command, made a decree that if anybody prays to anybody else except for the king, they will be thrown in the lion's den, he could not even go back and change his own word. That's how powerful the word of the king is. And God is a king. So when he speaks the word, there's power. So this individual identifies Jesus not as a spiritual figure, not as a religious leader. He identifies him as a government leader. Somebody that's under authority with authority. And then we go on down to verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a Word, he healed all who were sick. Jesus came to the earth 
with all of what Genesis 1.26 says. He came to the earth to show us what Genesis 1.26 looks like. He came to this planet. He came to this world to show us what man with dominion looks like. Because we didn't get very far. We get three chapters in and man's already lost his dominion. The one thing God gave him, he's lost it. The dominion was our purpose. That authority was our ability to cast the the serpent out of the garden. And we handed over our authority to the enemy in that instance. Adam and Eve didn't lose access to heaven. They lost access to dominion. They lost their authority. They didn't become unsaved. They didn't lose their Christianity. That's all man-made stuff. That's all stuff we've come up with. They lost their authority. Now, salvation's necessary. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you don't have to be saved and born again, but that's just entrance into the kingdom. That's how you get in the kingdom, not get into heaven. That's how you get in the kingdom so that we can get heaven done here. We're so busy trying to get somewhere, and God's wanting us to bring something somewhere. We're not trying to get to heaven. We're trying to bring heaven to earth. This is what we call an original intent. An original intent. This was my original will. And then I spoke a word, let us make man. And then the Holy Spirit performed the work of making man in our image, in our likeness. And so the Holy Spirit not operating in an, in a human being is not performing the word and the will of the king. You've got to have the will, you've got to have the word, and you've got to have the work. If the Holy Spirit is not operating in, a, in an individual, then we are not performing the will of God. It's impossible. You've got to have the will. Let us make man in our image. You've got to have the word. He spoke it into existence. And then you have to have the Holy Spirit working inside of the individual. And that's why you've got to be saved. You've got to be saved because you, you, you can't get the spirit inside of you until you get the sin out of you. When we were stuck in sin, for by one man's trespass, one man's sin, we were all born into sin. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody in this world is born with the Spirit of God living inside of them. Nobody. And the only way the Spirit can get in is if we get the sin out of And so Jesus shows up on the earth here, being the only individual, the only individual that's born without sin. Because there was no way to get saved up until this point. There was a way to get forgiveness, but there's no way to get salvation. He's the one had to, that had to bring salvation. So Jesus had to go to the cross 
take on all of our sin. And if we believe on the Lord Jesus and confess the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. He will forgive us of all of our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. That's why salvation is important. But Jesus comes to the earth not having sinned, not having known sin, not having sin within him. So he's able to be that sacrifice for us. He became sin so that you and I don't have to live in sin any longer. But he shows up on the earth. And he made this statement numerous times. We see it in the book of John. He says, I do my father's will. And then I am the word of God. Jesus, the son, was a man that lived on the earth for 33 years, but he was and always is and always will be the word of God. And then in John chapter 3, he goes and he gets uh, uh, baptized. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, he goes to John the Baptist and gets baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So I've got the will, I've got the word, and now I have the works. The works for what? To show kingdom authority back on the earth once again. And you keep on going here, Matthew chapter 8. Keep on going down uh, to verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 23. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. They don't know what to do. They don't have the authority to operate and say something. They don't, that, that's never been done before. Why are you fearful, O oh you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey? Obedience is a response to authority. You can't obey where there's no authority. You can't obey where there's no authority. Your finances don't obey you because you're not enacting any authority over them. Your children don't obey you because you're not enacting any authority. Your marriage isn't lining up because you're not enacting any authority. Your, your job situation isn't lining up because you're not enacting any authority over it, spiritually speaking. If we're not appropriating authority, then there's not going to be any obedience. But obedience, the winds and the waves obey do what they're told is what that word means you know all, all parents in this room know what obey means right it means do what you're told to do there's a will i want the waves and the storm to stop there's a word be calm peace be still we see in another book and then they obey by the power of the holy spirit working responding to the authority that's appropriate. Jesus is our example of how this authority is to operate. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. I'm just kind of going quick through these. says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on 
or has been given, has been given, has been given. That means it's been delegated. Just like God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion. He gave dominion to man. Now he has given authority. It's the same word, that authority or that dominion, that ability to rule and govern to Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Jesus is standing before a Roman official. By the way, Jesus wasn't killed uh, just because uh, he was a nice guy and people were tired of all the stuff he was doing. Uh, He was killed because he was a uh, political liability. He was killed because he was proclaiming himself to be a king. And if you call yourself a king when you're in a government already that's called treason. He was killed. He was crucified on that cross. Not just because that was what was supposed to happen. They killed him because they thought he was trying to create a revolt against the Roman government. So the Roman government killed him, put him to death, because that's what you do with individuals. Then, you know, Pontius Pilate is trying to, 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 to fight for his life and say, look, this guy's just crazy. He's just mad. He's just a heretic. He's a lunatic. But the Jews, his own people, handed him over to the Roman government and said, you got to take care of this guy. They killed him for political reasons. And so he's standing here before Pontius Pilate. And in verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Are you just saying what everybody else said or have you come to recognition that I'm a king? Are you just saying that because that's the call against me? That's the cry against me that they believe I'm trying to uh, uh, bring myself up to be a king because that's all I talk about. The kingdom. They got to a point where the people said, we want you to be our king. The people that didn't want to be under Roman government, under the Roman chain. So they said, yeah, let's let's raise him up to be our king. And he had to depart from there. He said, no, I'm not going to be a king like that. Because he tells Pilate here in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. He he, he, He doesn't shy away from the fact that he's a king, of a kingdom. He just says, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Are you a king then? Pilate asked him. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. And for this cause, I was born. For this very reason, I was born. That. Uh, that I have come into this world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He said, I am a king. 
Jesus is a king. Jesus came to this earth as a king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. A person in a position of authority. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this to Peter. Guys, you got to get this concept that you are in a kingdom. You're in a kingdom. You didn't just become saved. You didn't just become born again. You didn't just get access to heaven one day when you die and we just have to, uh, you know, tread our way through this life. You have been born into a new kingdom. The, 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 The things that we have made Christianity all about, Jesus did not. I mean, today, the majority of messages that are preached and that go out and, and, and that are spoken of about Christians is being born again and getting to heaven. And both of those things, Jesus never preached about. Never preached about. Go in your Bible and read it. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in there. John chapter 3 is the only time he mentioned being born again. And he had that with one individual, that conversation with one individual in the middle of the night. He was on mountainsides with 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people could have mentioned being born again and just dying and getting to heaven one day. And he never once mentioned it. But that's where he talked about getting to heaven. Or that's where he talked about coming into the kingdom and what the kingdom of God looks like and how to bring the kingdom to the earth. He has 12 disciples and he says, this is how I want you to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy will that is spoken be performed on this earth. On this earth. On this earth. As it is in heaven. The only time he mentions heaven is so we can get heaven in the earth. Look at Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 18. It's the conversation with Peter. Peter identifies that he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus responds, and he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. If you want to know the purpose for the church, if you want to know the intention of the church, go to where he first mentions the church. Pastors do not have the right to redefine what the church is and how the church is supposed to operate and what the purpose of the church is in the earth. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's how powerful the church is. The church is not weak, guys. The church is the most powerful entity in the earth today. It's more powerful than any government. It's more powerful than any war. It's more powerful than any crusade. You know, they've been trying to take the church out. Since it began. The moment the church began, they've been trying to take it out. 
and they haven't succeeded yet, and they won't. ISIS is in the earth today trying to get rid of the church, not Christianity, not just the belief system, but the church. But the church is much bigger. It's a much larger organism than just a belief system. The church of the living God. Now, Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority and all power. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the key. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's just shifted here. He's not saying you, Peter. He's now talking about the church. The church has the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth be loosed in heaven. Nothing should happen in the earth today without the church's permission. Whatever you bind. And all this time, we've been praying to God to bind stuff and loosen stuff. And he's saying, it's up to you that heaven will respond to what the church does in the earth. He says the gates of hell will not prevail. And the church today is more on the defensive than the offensive. Most people do not correlate the church and war as one. The church is at war. And we're not trying to fight off the enemy. We are the ones doing the attacking. We're on the offensive, guys. We're not trying to get the devil off of us and trying to get the devil away from us and trying to keep the devil from ruining our lives and ruining our projects and ruining our stuff. We're in his stuff messing him up. He's trying to get into Hollywood, and we're the ones going into Hollywood and trying to get him out, ban him out of there. He's the one in government, and we're the ones trying to get back in government and say, no, this is our territory. This is our land. He's the one trying to get in our school system, and we're the ones saying, no, you're not allowed in our school system. Get out. And we're driving the enemy off. He's the one trying to get in our economy. He's the one trying to get in our businesses. He's the one trying to get in our bodies, and we're saying, no, you get out. I'm in authority here. I'm the one binding. I'm the one loosing. And I'm doing it, and then heaven responds to me. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. Which means he gets to transfer authority to whom he would like. And he's chosen somebody. He's chosen someone. He's chosen his church. 
He said, in my church, I will build. He says, I am building an entity that will carry my authority in the world. And that's what's happening today. The, the church can't be stopped. The church can't be shut down. The church, not a church, not a church building. You can close the doors. I don't care. You're not going to stop the church. I'm only here just training you and developing you to go out and do the work of the kingdom. Don't, don't diminish church to something we do on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Right? You know, we don't understand the purpose of church. That's why we come to church and say, well, he better be done in 30 minutes. My show's coming on. My, the, the buffet's waiting. My family's at the, they're, they're already there waiting for me. The food's getting cold. If he doesn't hurry up, I'm going to have to wait 30 minutes before I get seated. We, 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 we don't even understand why we walk through the doors. You're coming here to be empowered so when you go back out the doors to the waitress that serves you at your table and she's having a rough day, and instead of just saying, well, man, I ain't tipping you nothing, you have a heart of compassion that says, reaches out and says, what can I pray with you about today? Because I'm in the kingdom of God, and prayer makes effective power and if you just give me something to pray about i'll make some power available and we can change that situation and be the church oh i went to church i i I, you know i I was working at a pharmacy here in town and he said man the saddest thing happened to me one day i was working on a sunday and this lady comes in here uh and and she's the rudest meanest lady i've ever had in my entire life and she said that she got out of church and came straight over didn't get nothing in church Some of the meanest people go to church. Not this church. I mean, this church has the love of God written all over it. This church is touching people's lives. This church is reaching people. You're telling me the stories and the testimonies. Because we're being the church. The church is a church of authority. Romans chapter 5, last verse. See, I can go long when you're in here, too. Romans chapter 5, if by one man's offense death reigned, death reigned, reigned. Look at the terminology that's in the Bible. Why do do we Christianize everything? These are government terms. Righteousness, that's some spiritual term. That's not a spiritual term. That's a government term. That means to be in right standing with an authority. That's what that means. If by one man's offense, death reigned, sin reigned, guys, it was in control. That means it had authority. How? Because Adam and Eve handed it over. Here you go. Here's my authority. Take it. Death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The Amplified puts it this way. If because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings. 
Have you ever wondered why he's called the king of kings? Look at your neighbor and say, you're royalty. Pick a neighbor. Look at him. Look him in the eyes and say, you're royalty. You're a king. You're a king on the earth. You're a king in the earth. That means you have authority. That means you have dominion. Why is the world pushing us around? Why is sickness and disease pushing us around? Why is lack and poverty pushing us around? Why is hatred and uh, 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 fear pushing us around? We're in charge. You need to wake up every morning saying, I'm a king. I'm a king. I'm a king. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. Sickness, you don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. I tell you where to go. we got to get like Jesus. There's no demon. There's no sickness. There's no death. There was no uh, 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 wind or wave or storm or fig tree that could stop him. He spoke the word in line with the will and the works were performed. You and I are supposed to be operating the same way. We know the will of the Father. We get the word on it and then the Holy Spirit performs the work through us. That's the way kingdom authority is established in the kingdom of God. So you got to know his will. You got to know his word. And the Holy Spirit has to perform the works. This is a kingdom, guys. This is a kingdom. We are in a kingdom. We are in a kingdom. This is a kingdom church. Now, we've all heard the statement, with authority comes responsibility. But guys, the responsibility is your purpose. It's why you're here. You know, how many times do we make the statement or hear people make the statement, the church is the one thing holding this whole world together. Right? We hear people say that. Because they're right. And they don't even know what they're saying. We don't even know what we're saying. We are the one thing holding the world together. We're the ones that diminish our roles. We're the ones that allow uh, trials in life and things in life come against us. Look, we're all going through stuff. But in the midst of the greatest persecution the church has ever known, That's when the church took off. It's never going to be worse than it was in Acts chapter 2. We we don't even know what that means, guys. We live in a country where we can preach like I'm preaching today. How much longer that lasts, I don't know. But it's nothing like it was in Acts. They're in an upper room. And they didn't have to come out of that upper room. And they wouldn't have come out of that room if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit. They just killed the man they were following. What do you think they're going to do to them? And they're preaching a kingdom. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why the kingdom message got lost. I know why the kingdom message got lost. I know why we diminished it to just get saved and born again and one day we'll get to heaven. I know why. 
Because the kingdom message is a hard message. It's a hard message to receive, and it's a hard message to give. It's easy. It's easy to say, let's pray a prayer. And one day we'll just get to heaven and don't worry about all this stuff going on here in the world. That's easy. And the persecution was so bad. And not persecution from coworkers. Not persecution from friends and family that say, oh, you're serving that God thing. You can endure that. Right? You can endure that. You can endure showing up at family reunion and talking about church and, and talking about God. And they all look like you like you. You still going to that church? You still serving that God? You still doing all that stuff? You still t- teaching your kids about Jesus? That's easy. But when the government wants to stamp you out, and they're threatening to take your head off, and threatening to beat you, all right, well, let's not make it about a kingdom thing. Let's just say that Jesus Let's just say that he, he wants us to be born again because one day he wants us to live in heaven with him. It's not about a religion. It's just about a relationship. That's where all these terms come from. That's where all this stuff comes from. But this church isn't going to slack. This church isn't going to diminish. This thing's about a kingdom. And the kingdom gives you responsibility, but the responsibility is why you're here. The the responsibility is why we're doing what we're doing, teaching what we're teaching, and going out and living what we're living. I honestly, you know, like I said, I I told God, I said, you know, I feel like we got a good grasp on this, but somebody needed this tonight. Somebody hasn't been feeling as empowered as you really are. Somebody's been shying away. Somebody hasn't been going in the workplace and going in the house and, and, and enacting kingdom authority. And you got to get back to that. You got to get back to that. When world is, when the world is squeezing us so bad that all we want to do is leave and get to heaven. Not achieving his purpose. So, Father, I thank you tonight that this word sinks deep within us. That this message will resound with us. That you are a king. You are a king. You rule and reign in a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And you have placed us in this earth. As your kingdom citizens, your royal offspring, to rule and reign in the earth once again. Father, we thank you that we operate in the authority of the kingdom of God. You created us in your likeness. You created us in your image to look like you, act like you, talk like you, respond like you. So, Father, we walk in that. We walk in that today. May we not diminish the role. May we not may we not diminish the value that you have for our lives. You need us. You need us. Because it's according to your word. Father, I thank you that every individual in this room grabs a hold of this message tonight. 
we can ignite this city with the kingdom of God. We can advance the kingdom in our own sphere of influence. And you will receive all the glory. You will receive all the praise. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.